Welcome to the Boyd Meets World podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd. Uh, today I'm doing just about my favorite thing in the world with one of my favorite people in the world, commiserating about the Seattle Mariners with Phil Smeraldo. Uh, Phil and I covered pretty much everything under the sun, from some M's history to this year's lineup and pitching staff, and everything in between. We even directed our own very good, very dark Mariners commercials. I promise that if you listen, you'll be more ready, more miserable, but also you'll be more excited to watch Mariner baseball than you are right now. Enjoy it. Cool. Well, this is a kind of a tradition. I feel like we've done this every year for. Yeah, this has been every year, I think. Yeah. Um, at least how how long have you been doing this like th- four years almost five years i've been i've been we started we started our like what junior year of college yeah i've been effing around with this since junior year yeah you were the first one we we basically lifted credible italian guy off of off of the screen yeah, you had the blog mm-hmm. yeah and then you transitioned it into the podcast yeah and i just wanted to see if we could do it and then get away with drinking beers and pack our and we, <laughs> and we did both we did yeah um we and, need eric we did eric was always supposed to, eric's the one that he's kind of like the joke he was always supposed to come on and he never makes it on. yeah he's like the you know like jimmy kimmel at the very end of every episode he's like oh matt damon and we're so sorry we ran out of time for you uh, yeah. <laughs> every single episode but yeah that's that's eric's choice he had he had uh, kind of innocuous, like amorphous plans for tonight. So we'll see. Um, I did. Yeah, I'm th- glad we do these uh, on like Mondays because that's my day. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I thought I saw Eric or like heard of Eric today when I saw the thing about how Ichiro took a 91 mile an hour fastball off the head. And oh I, yeah, I thought maybe Eric snuck into into spring training. <laughs> that was. <laughs> But then I was like, "Oh, Eric! Eric would never hit 91, so we're we're fine." Yeah, <laughs> if it was a 63 mile fastball, <laughs> then it would have been Eric. Aimed at his head, but ended up <laughs> ended up in the backstop. Um, before we start, I'm sure you've heard already, but you know Sean's moving to Miami, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Sean and I, he 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 gets my my pain of being on the the East Coast now. Yeah, dude, he knows nobody over there. Oh yeah, I mean. I might. I think I'm gonna write a book about how difficult it is in your 20s in a new city to, to... not know anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a grind, but it's a good challenge. At least you had you had like a little bit because you were in a group of people mm-hmm. that when you moved over there, right? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Without you know, like Teach for America. Yep. Exactly. Doing it without a program or like uh, education environment is 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 a very difficult thing. Yeah, I can't imagine. How would you go meet somebody? Like, how do you meet anybody? They have, like, Bumble, but for BFFs. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. I would probably get on that. I mean, it's still good. <laughs> I have enough friends here. <laughs> I, I don't even like the friends I have here, though, so maybe I will get on it. Most of them are listening, so what's up? I've been hanging out with Clayton for a while. Clayton's actually. the man. Clayton's the man. Yeah, Clayton's good. Clayton's a good perspective because Clayton uh, just relentlessly doesn't give a shit about sports, and... So most of the conversations I had had up in my life until I met Clayton were about sports. And so I, I like, I don't know, he like changed my perspective of like sports really don't matter that much. Wasn't Clayton a pretty good athlete though? Yeah. Did he play sports? Yeah, Clayton was a wrestler and I think he had a had a football career, but he, he got hurt and then oh. lost interest and now he... A la Louis Jackham. A la, yeah, we got, we got a lot of those. Um, so 
we're, we're technically rolling, so we can just we can just. Oh, we are. Ha- yeah, why not? Um, okay, sure. Yeah, but so 18 years ago today, do you know what happened? The Mariners last made the playoffs. Um, it'd be hard to do no. in <laughs> in April mm. or in late March, but uh, no, 18 years ago today, the the kingdom blew up. Oh really? I should say they blew up the kingdom because it didn't just spontaneously burst. But so so um, that was uh, was Safeco already. I refresh my memory. Was Safeco already done, or did they have to play like a, a, the season in like a replacement field? No, they they had Safeco already ready. So so it was up, and then they just blew blew the kingdom up once they had Safeco. So Safeco's first first season was eighteen years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, one all of one playoff appearance there, right? Yeah, yeah. The house that that Griffey built um, has one playoff appearance in it. Uh, those th- I was looking back at that team though, and to see like A Rod went forty three dingers and one hundred thirty four RBIs that so year. So this is the two thousand season. Yeah. So who's our who's our Freddie Garcia is probably our ace that year. Aaron Seeley was probably Aaron the guy. Uh, John Halama. I think Moyer is there at that point. Yeah, Moyer's there. That's a decent pitching staff. Yeah, and then when you have A Rod, Edgar, and John Olerud all just absolutely raking. And Mike Cameron too. He came over in that Griffey trade and he started playing really well. Yep, Mike Cameron was there. Um that was just like peak Royd ball and Yeah. <laughs> I miss those days. I do too. That was uh that was when Bonds was that two thousand or two thousand one when Bonds hit uh the seventy two home runs? That's a good I think it was two thousand uh that Bonds had that because two thousand one was the year the Yankees won and two thousand was the Angels uh Giants World Series, if I'm not mistaken. God, those games. And then you I, I was reading okay, so I was getting ready to come on and talk about the Mariners. Mm-hmm. And so I was just looking through some old stuff and you know, I went down a rabbit hole. Oh yeah, very um, easy know, to do. That, yeah, exactly. And I was looking at uh, all these old stats. And do you remember the guy? His name is Jeff Cirillo. Of course, he used I to do. Play third base. Yeah. yeah, he used to play third base for the Mariners. And uh, he came over from the Rockies. He did not have a very good Mariners career. But uh, the year before, when it was like peak Roy Ball, and I'm, sh- I'm I don't know, I don't want him to li- like randomly hear this and sue me, but I'm sure he was on steroids too. What's up, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but he, I'm sure he was on steroids. Plus, uh, that was the year that Coors Field. That was before they started uh, their program to, you know, doctor the baseballs to make it more like a fair environment because yeah. you know baseballs would just fly out of there. <laughs> the stats that that guy put up, his home away splits were so ridiculous. It's I don't know how any GM looks at that and wants him on any other team but the Rockies. I mean, you he he hit like 203 outside of Coors Field. And like 385 inside a course field with like oh my all his all of his home runs coming in cores. And that, that would be a fun yeah. thing to do is to see how much money was made, like how much how much money course field made uh, hitters in that in, yeah. that in that brief little window when no, oh one, no God, one caught on imagine. that this air thing is a real real deal. Uh, yeah, that was that was quite quite the quite the split. That was that was in the long run of like cursed third baseman. Um, like David Bell, Scott uh, uh, Scott Spezio, Scott Spezio. My favorite trivia fact about basically anything. Do you remember what the name of Scott Spezio's band was? No, yeah, I didn't even. I was not even aware <laughs> that Scott Spezio had a band. Well, Scott Spezio is just like if you look at Scott Spezio, his his 
his picture just tells you everything about what this band is going to be. And then the, the 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 title is great. He's got like the 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 soul patch and like the the goatee. Oh, he does have a soul patch. Okay, that's what I was picturing. The band's name is Sandfrog. Sandfrog. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it... okay, what is what kind of music is Sandfrog doing? I, I don't even need to to hear Sandfrog. I just <laughs> I know what it is. It's... I think Sandfrog could be like it could. I could see it going one of two ways. I could see Sandfrog being like a very like metal kind of like punk band, or I could see it being total folk like no, hippie music. No, it's, you it's, think it's more of the other? Yeah, one? I think I think it's like KG dive bar. Like we are Sandfrog. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And then like some, maybe a stage dive or two that's like pre-planned <laughs> into the into the set. Uh, hey, good for him. Everyone's got to have a hobby, you know. Side hustles, man. They they make the yeah. world go round. Um, so yeah, that was that was you know we we jumped eighteen years back. Um, we're gonna go right back to last season though with the M's. They finished uh, outside the playoffs as they have for the last seventeen years and counting. Um, but what were some some defining moments of last season and in, in what amounted to be a pretty. I thought there were, the expectations were high. I remember the Seattle Times was like, "Oh, look, this is what it looks like to have Edwin Diaz throw 100 miles an hour at your face," and that was like the the big push. It's like, "Oh my God, we got all the pieces," and then it just kind of fell apart. So, what were some defining moments from from last season for you? Okay, so I wrote a few of them down, and I think I want to do it in order from the things that made me happy to the things that made me really really sad. I think that's gonna be a theme today. So yeah, <laughs> let's start with the good stuff first. I have them written down, so okay. just give me one second here. Okay. Oh, the thing that made me the the best part of last season was actually born out of one of the worst parts of last season. After the Mariners sent Mike Zanino down to AAA, remember that it was like in June. Yes, quick hook. And uh, you know that was pretty much everyone had written him off at that point. That was officially. He's done. He's a bust. He is not coming back. There's no hope left for this guy, right? That's kind of the that, that was the general sentiment once he got sent down for what, like the fourth time, right? So he comes back up after you know his time down there with a new looking swing, and he proceeds to go the rest of the season after that call up, which was not a small sample. It was it was almost 90 games, I believe, and uh, he hit 285 and with a bunch of power and a bunch of pop. And a really, really new, never I've never seen it from him before, but like some good play discipline. And I've talked about him on this podcast a lot before, I think, because he's always been my favorite Mariner of this era. He was just given a bad deal by the last organization. He was picked third overall and rushed way too fast through the minors because uh, Zarenzik needed to save his job and he needed to show that there was something building in the future. And they shouldn't have done that to the kid. And then, you know, he's way out of his element up in the major leagues. He struggles just mightily. He gets sent down. He goes back up. He gets sent down again. He goes back up. He gets sent down again. Yo-yos for, you know, the better part of three seasons. Never once complains. Yep. Always takes his, his, his you know, demotions in stride. Really tries to get better. He's like, And you listen to the guy talk, and he really just cares deeply about the game. It's not even about, you know whatever with him uh, you know money the you know the allure of the majors he really just cares about the game and i really not to get too sentimental but i really just i can sympathize or i can you know empathize with him a lot on that you know as a former catcher yourself yeah as a former but just in life i think most people can empathize with that you know maybe being in a situation where you weren't ready for it and still working your best to try and make it work I, i really appreciate him as a player Mike Zanino is the ultimate fake until you make it 
uh, case. I remember when he got drafted, and it was a big. I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about this in a second. But M's fans are just like we have just we're we're conditioned to 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 be timid about nice things. And mm-hmm. when he got drafted, a lot of the, the Jeff Clement comparisons came out because you know college college yep. catcher, um, good hitter in college, all the all, you know looks looks the part, all these nice things, and then never amounts to anything. Uh, I remember when he got drafted, though, that Peter Gammons was on MLB TV, and he was saying, he's like, when the Mariners are good in, in five years, um, we'll look back to, at, at this selection of Mike Zanino as a, as a big reason why. Um, they're not yeah, good. Right? <laughs> they're not good yet. Um, and, but if they were to be good this season, and I know that's part of this, one of the segments later, but that's one of those pivotal positions that for just sure. has to go right. For sure. And, and you're right. To salvage anything out of Zanino for what it looked like last season. And I mean, he was, he was Mendoza lining for a, a large portion of his career. Uh, and to end up last season, how, how he finished with, uh, with 25 dingers, 64 ribbies, super solid behind the plate. Um, his strikeout issues kind of, I mean, they're still going to be there, but they've waned. Um, it's, it is, yeah, it I don't is think a, he's ever going to, get rid of that completely but if it becomes a more manageable thing for him then sure. he could be a really really good player sure uh yeah that was that was a big one um just kind of a it was a nice mid-season as the astros are, are lapping us in the standings it was it was nice to have a qualitatively good piece with uh development of mike z okay so that was uh that was one of the good defining moments there we go uh okay so <laughs> you want, you want tra- trade us for a, trade us for an awful one um, okay, I got one more middle of the road one. This one's kind of like middle, you know. Yeah. Uh, not good, not bad. Sure. The yellow um, light. Yeah. So I would say when we first got our first taste, the defining moment of the Hanager and Segura era as Mariners, and if you remember, Segura actually started the season on the DL, but Hanager came out super, super, super hot, mm-hmm. uh, like right off the bat. And we traded Taiwan Walker, who I think all of us kind of had come to the realization was never going to be good in Seattle. Maybe he can go out to Arizona and be good there, but he, he was just not – something was not clicking for him in Seattle. And then we got to see Hanager Segura, you know, come out and really uh, execute on, on, on DePoto's vision. And that's when I started to drink a little bit of that Kool-Aid from the DePoto trade because I really saw for once – a trade looked like it was actually going our way because we, like you said, we've been conditioned uh, with you know Bedard, Adam Jones, all those <laughs> all those trades. We've been conditioned to realize uh, to think you know, hey, if we get we're, anything, we're out gonna of get trade, hosed. Yeah, exactly. So it was really nice to see that you know there was some thought and and even Depoto said you know the whole trade wasn't about Segura. It had some Hanager in there too, and he liked the player even though he thought the player was undervalued, and he went and made the deal for him and now Hanniger's uh gonna be the starting right fielder you know so it was it was a good process meets result type yeah. of type of situation yeah that's 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 very true and and getting Cattell Marte and upgrading that that into Segura uh was was a nice move as well um I I last year on the the unreleased preseason podcast that we did with with our friend Eric Jensen, I referred to Mitch Haniger as Mitch Hangier because I just had not <laughs> I, I didn't even know who he was. You didn't point. know, yeah, but that's the point. You didn't know who he was, but the front office obviously saw something that they liked and they went out and got the guy. Yep, yep, and it, and it was it was it was a nice thing of like you know kind of kind of the regression to, to the mean and after the dust settles, what you see with Haniger as a guy that. Um, you know, was banged up, only played about 100 games last season, but 
over 150 games, if you can extrapolate and say, let's get a, a pretty healthy season out of him. That's another guy who would hit right on the nose with 25 home runs. Uh, exactly. If it worked out and, and in a corner outfield spot, that's kind of, that's kind of, I mean, it's not great and it, but it's also much better than, no. uh, than Andy Chavez as, as we've and, experienced. And he, here's the thing about the lineup construction with the Mariners is they have enough guys in, in that are going to overproduce for their position. Cano is going to always overproduce at second base. Segura is going to overproduce. I mean, I'm talking offensively here. Segura is going to overproduce for a third baseman. They just need those big positions like first base, left field, and right field. They don't need those to overproduce. They need those to be league average. Yep. They need those to be not black holes. Yes. And they'll be fine, and they'll have a great offense if that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that we've kind of settled in with the the way this team is is built right now to to be – to to win games in a seven to five variety like that 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 is right how they that's have, how they're gonna have to do it not a strategy with, that you with the defense yeah, yeah you want you want I mean like aiming for that six to three kind of kind of strategy is maybe a little bit more sustainable um you see with the team like the Rangers perennially they're like the high variance strategy just it it, it, t- it tends to fade out uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like you said with the Hanniger trade, it just it was a, it was a, a vision that was executed on and, and had some promise. So um, definitely, definitely a thing that we were un, like not used to of just like a, a a pretty like low profile trade or medium profile trade that worked out for us. Right. Yeah. Okay, I have two more, and they're gonna get progressively worse. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, this day, this we're talking about pivotal mo- po- moments, or we're talking about yeah, pivotal moments of last season. And I should condition this with last season was just kind of a slog. Last season was not very enjoyable. No, there was no moment where it was. Re- there was no even the Mariners were not horrible, but they weren't very fun to watch. I yeah. mean, it was it was a lot. So it was kind of hard to find any very defining moments of last season. There was no Felix perfect game. You know, there was no huge win streaks or huge losing streaks. It was just kind of they got – they were in it. They were kind of hanging on, and then they were just faded away. So, you know, part of this next one is is, uh, the moment I realized that they were fading away. They were – it was August 25th, and I remember this because I was in San Diego visiting one of my friends. My other friend is a Yankees fan. The Mariners were in New York for a three-game series. We were down in the wild card. August 25th, so less – or maybe a month of the season left to play or mm-hmm. so. And they're down, I believe, a game, maybe two games in the, for the second wild card to the Yankees. Yep. And uh, we're playing the Yankees in New York. Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge had both been suspended for the series. Because oh, that's both, right. This Because there was some big fight with the Tigers that they had had just, just prior to that. Yeah. So we're going in there, and things are looking pretty good. We just need to probably take two or three, and we get swept. That, that was backbreaking. <laughs> Yeah, that was the backbreaker. That was the moment I realized, yeah, this is not going to happen for us. That was a, a similar tune for the entire season of just like there's there's this little opportunity and these win streaks that get you back to 500, uh, and then you realize that the team has expended pretty much its entire like potential just to get back to 500, and that's I mean right. Just... Oh, that kind of goes well into uh, my last point here. There we go. Uh, this is the most memorable moment of the season for me. When a guy named Ryan Garten took the mound. Do you know who that is, Ryan Garten? I don't. I don't either. <laughs> the point I know about him is, though, he was the 40th pitcher that the Mariners used last uh... year, which tied the Texas Rangers of, like, 19-something 
for the most pitchers used in a single season all time. Yikes. That was the memorable moment for me. It was a combination of things. It was a combination of bad luck with injuries, but it was also just kind of, unfortunately, it was it, it was a team that was not, they had no depth in, in the rotation, so they were kind of shuffling guys up from Tacoma all the time mm-hmm. to try and see if one of them was going to end up working. And then when one of them did end up working, another pitcher went down. There was a point last season where Giovanni Gallardo was our de facto ace. Yeah, right. It was it was it became the expectations were so watered down for the pitching staff that like going going four and two thirds in two earned runs was like a became the the new M's quality start. Uh, exactly, which is just absurd. Uh, to, and I, to be I don't want to blame all of that on you know the the club because there was like I said there was a lot of injuries. James Paxton went down. Felix went down. Iwakuma obviously is still down. Maybe he'll come back. Who knows if, if he comes back and what capacity that's going to be. No one's counting on him anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just it was uh, it was tough. It was tough to watch. I remember I texted you and our other friend Quinn, um, who's been on here before. I people are listening who don't know Quinn. Right. Um, that you know the Mariners were um, I think five games back going into September, and you know in September you get to expand your roster to forty people. Yep. I texted you guys my idea where why don't they – because the Mariners did have, for one thing last year, of all the pitching was, they did have a decent bullpen. Mm-hmm. And my idea was just get all these guys, these uh, rotation arms, up from Tacoma, fill out your 40-man, and instead of having uh, a five-man rotation, just have two days where the bullpen pitches the whole game. That's and happened that's before. That's it. Yeah. yeah, that's happened before in an emergency situation. But yeah, it, it became this like just. I advocated for that to be the norm for the last month of the season if we wanted to try and get in. Yeah, it became like next warm body, <laughs> you're up. Uh, Scott, yeah, exactly. Scott, Scott Service volunteered to pitch, I think, at one point. <laughs> uh, well, De- DePoto's a former pitcher. I'm surprised that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, exactly. With, he could have signed himself. Yeah, with his like wheeling and dealing, he would find some loophole in the CBA to, to be able to, to pull that off. Um, yeah, it was, it was a frustrating season. I think you encapsulated that with, with your moments. I have, I have a couple more. This one I didn't even remember, but I was looking back at the game logs from last year. And in back-to-back nights, the M's, they're in Minnesota. Uh, it's in June. Uh, it's, they, they win the first game of the series 14-3. to it's, it's a phenomenal output. And then the following game, they lost 20-7. to um, <laughs> <laughs> So it... The, the, uh, that's the high variance thing you were talking about, like the Rangers. It's it, there was just no consistency in the product last year. Exactly. So in in two games they went they went twenty one or they scored twenty one runs and and gave up twenty three. Which uh, I mean, that's that's kind of what it was. It was just this this back and forth battle of of like you know can can we get the offense good enough? And then it, there was just never any strong enough pitching back backbone to uh to sustain anything. A couple more. Um, Watching so at the end of the season, like watching playoff baseball and watching the Astros run in particular, I, it made the Mariners look as if they were a college baseball team, just in terms of, of how much talent oh, was, yeah. on, was on was on display uh, in that World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers. It was it was very apparent that <laughs> we are miles away from that, um, which is is demoralizing. But we're used to that. But I mean, especially zooming in on, on a team that's in your division. Um, that is just going to be perennially getting 100 wins for, I, I don't even know. Like, when, when are the Astros going to suck again? Like, 20, so, 2025? Yeah, when are the Astros going to suck again? Well, here's the thing. The Astros don't have great pitching. 
I mean, they have a few good pitchers, and I think their pitchers really overperformed in the, especially in the playoffs last year. But can you name anyone on the Astros besides Lance McCullers and? Uh, well, I don't like, Keuchel and Verlander. Keuchel. Yeah, I mean, Keuchel but, had but, even a down year for for. I mean, he was a Cy Young candidate the year before. And Ver, Verlander's on the way out too. Yeah, I mean, Verlander pitched out of his mind. Uh, yeah. I think actually Verlander had a, had a, the master plan the whole season of of to under undercut his own value in Detroit so that he could go to a contender for cheap. Um, and then as soon as he got there, turn it on. That's, that's right. That's the master stroke of, of Mr. The same guy who can score Kate Upton obviously has, has some, <laughs> he's, some, he's thinking two steps ahead. Exactly. Maybe even three. Um, <laughs> so, so there's, there's that of just the misery of watching the Astros, which we will continue to endure. Um, you know, no- what sucks too, is I was reading this article, I think in like 2000, 12 or something like that when the Astros came into the division you know remember oh, yeah. for those of you who are listening who aren't huge Mariners history guys the AL West only used to have four teams in the division we were the one division with four teams then everyone else had five and the AL Central had six mm-hmm. they shifted the Astros over to the AL West to make everyone five 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 um and the Astros came in and they were the laughing stock and ever, uh, they were they were the by far worst team in in all of Major League Baseball, and uh, we were worried because you know I mean we weren't worried about them at the time, but you know obviously we enjoyed the advantage of of having um, only a four team division for so long. The common refrain was oh it's going to be six years before the Astros are even back to average. Well here we are now, <laughs> and uh, yeah. they're better than average, and the Mariners are in no better of a spot than. Uh, yeah. They were six years ago. It felt like a window that needed to be capitalized on, knowing that how much talent they were starting to accumulate. Once, yeah. once, once Springer got called up, and you're saying, okay, this, this Springer's up there, and he's going to be their maybe fourth or fifth best hitter. Um, this is going to be a problem, and right. it, it, it quickly has. Uh, but it goes, it goes to the development issue as well. Um, the Mariners have tried that strategy to get bad. Did and they? They could not. They, 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 they couldn't did. even get bad. I mean, you, you have the one season Steven Strasburg is staring at you in the face. All you have to do is not not sweep the A's uh, in, what was that, 2010? And yeah. they swept the A's, and you end up with Dustin Ackley, and that is... That is... Yeah, but that was such a good that was such a good pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just, just. I mean, the misery is is stacked against us in the, from the past. Last thing I will say is this this quick little story. Um, I'm a, I'm a dog walker, and so this season or like this summer, I like a, a dog walk came up, and so I'm on the bus to go to go to the dog walk, and as I'm on the bus, the the owner texts me and he says. Hey man, uh, when you come up to the hotel, just uh, just don't knock and um, text me beforehand, and I'll give you the treat, and then you can you can tell the dog to to sit. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, wait. So you're walking the dog? Oh no, you haven't gotten the dog. Yeah, yet. yeah. I'm I'm on my oh, way okay. to the dog. First okay. of all, I don't know it's at a, at a hotel. I didn't. I didn't. I, this is all news to me as I'm oh, like okay. ten minutes away from. He it. just gave you an address to go to. You didn't know it was a hotel. Right, and he says, "Don't don't knock on the door. Just just text me." And so I'm like, "Oh my god, what the?" F-? And so I don't knock on the door. I text him, and it's this this guy, and he's not wearing a shirt, and he's like, "Hey man," <laughs> and gives me a treat, and then closes the door, and I'm like. What and then he texts me from the other side of the door saying, "Okay, like you know, now uh, I'm gonna open the door again. Just tell this dog, tell this giant pit bull to sit." Oh, I knew that's what it was. like he was afraid the pit bull was gonna attack you. Yeah, so tell this giant pit bull to sit, and then everything should be good. And I'm like, 
all right, heavy breathing. I mean, <laughs> like, I, I mean, this is nothing against pit bulls on their face, but I mean, when you have a, an owner telling you to be cautious about their own dog, this is, you know, this is this is something. Yeah, that, it, could, it could spell trouble. Right. So uh, uh, there is a Mariners tie here. I'm, I'm, I promise. And uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out how they're how they're how this was all going to tie up. So he he opens the door again, and like it's all good. Like I'm 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 good with dogs at this point. And so I the dog's fine. It's this pit bull, and then there's also another dog in there that's this like little Chihuahua thing. And the little chihuahua like turns its head and I'm like, oh my God. And I, so out of the chihuahua's neck is like this like tube. And he's like, oh yeah. So what happened was the pit bull last week uh, took a <laughs> giant bite out of the other dog. And, Jesus. and so we have to keep them separated. That's why you're here. And so this guy's about to go to a wedding and he's like, listen, I had there's beer in the fridge. All you have to do, you don't even have to walk these dogs. All you have to do is just sit here and hang out with them until we get back from the wedding. And I was like, all of this happened in a span of 15 minutes. And so I was like, <laughs> all right. And so that entire time, it ended up being a lovely day. I just sat in a hotel room drinking someone else's beer and watched the M's. Why, beat. why was why, why was there a dog? Before, why was there a dog in the hotel? Did well, he live in the hotel? Or no, no, no. He, the, he, okay. he brought the dogs with him to the wedding, but they just stayed oh, in the okay. hotel room. So he just needed someone to be with the dogs in the meantime. And so I got you. during that, like, five-hour period i just sat and watched the m's beat the race and that was that was a lovely day and i couldn't move because i didn't want the any of the dog situation to to, to blow up to and escalate it was, yeah exactly so it was like it was just this nice like sit and watch baseball moment and i think that 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 uh i mean it was it ended up being a win but the process or the, the result doesn't even matter it was just kind of this reaffirmation of like okay this is what it's like to just be a baseball fan and have have a team supply you with things to do while uh, a dog might be close to to, to murdering you. you. You know, that's a good point. It t- sometimes makes me kind of sad uh, now how I watch them and how I consume the content, even baseball, I guess, in general. When I was younger, even not so much younger, 17, 18, 19 years old, I would sit, and even when the Mariners weren't great, so this isn't even an excuse. You know, they haven't been great our whole adult lives or our mm-hmm. whole adolescent lives, for that matter. But I would sit there and I would really hone in on the game. I'd focus on pitch to pitch, what's going on, what's the specific, and that's kind of the beauty of baseball. And I've sort of lost the way I consume that. I now I'm checking Twitter, yeah. Or I'm listening to music, or I'm making dinner, or you know, whatever. I but I'm just kind of, I'm kind of passively consuming the game at this point, and it's and it's not as pleasurable as it. So when you were telling me that story, it kind of makes me think if I would just had to sit down on the couch, no distractions, and solely watch the game. Yeah, I think it's a good frame of mind. Is like imagine there's there's a pit bull next to you, and if you if you move too quickly during the game or like grab your phone, uh, that might be the last time you ever grab your phone. Exactly. Like maybe the, I'll start doing that. Yeah, from now on. yeah. That's that's my challenge to to you out there. Um, so that that I mean I could have kept going I mean like not getting Otani was was miserable but that's not really a part of last God, season. He's been he's been he's been struck. Have you been following him this spring? I've just seen like and again this is like the passive watching. I've just seen like the gifts of some of his pitches and the movement on them is is incredible. Right. But he's, that that he's doesn't a good that doesn't. Pitcher, but he he is not he is not hitting the ball. He yeah. Can't hit the ball. But I mean we take a good pitcher at this point. They oh can't, yeah. They can't hit. Um, yeah. So so not getting him. From from a marketing perspective of of and just kind of an excitement perspective, I think this team could have really used that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if you're putting a square peg in a round hole, then then it's not the end of the world. But seeing him in the division is going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to hurt. Um, so I could keep going with all those things, but we'll we'll zoom in on this season and and kind of what to expect. And 
as we've talked about, M's fans, we've become programmed just to be miserable. And I'll give you another quick story. My dad texted me today and he says, um, I just got four tickets for the game on Sunday. And I thought about who's going to be in the rotation for Sunday. And I figured, okay, that's Marco Gonzalez. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, great. So that's one ticket for every inning Marco Gonzalez is going to do. And I'm like, what? I'm <laughs> you like, know, they're, they're I'm like, what is, I'm like what is wrong with me that that's the first thing that I think of? <laughs> immediately after I see oh my dad's like excited to go to a Mariners game that I immediately just shut it down with he's like sorry gonna go gonna three and a half three, yeah three and two thirds yeah. uh, but that we've just been beaten down to be like that no I don't blame anyone for feeling that way I mean I even feel that way and I'm probably the most optimistic Mariners fan you're ever gonna talk to and I I can still see it that way yeah um so so why do you want to do the good or the bad like like why do you want to do why why are we high on the M's or why are we low on the M's? I mean, I think the the, the those answers could be answered together pretty much. All right. You know you know exactly what you're gonna get from the offense, more or less. True. More or less, the offense is gonna be good. I mean, they're not gonna be the best offense in the major leagues, but if I I mean, I guess I you you do this if 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 all day at a certain point. You don't want to have the ifs anymore. But let's say Zanino continues on with how he played the end of last season, and we get league average production out of our first base platoon, mm-hmm. and all, everyone else you know, stays healthy. I mean, that's always the, one of the big qualifiers. That offense is going to be good. Um, yeah. And I'm even expecting a little bit of regression from Cano and Cruz as they age, which will be natural. I mean, I'm hoping they don't drop off the cliff. But, you know, even if those two guys – show a little bit of of their age this offense is still going to be very very good so so let's do that and just kind of do like the good with the bad here so with that offense you go at the top five in, in terms of the batting order you go d gordon d gordon who's a 60 steal going to be a 300 guy seems to be playing awesome in, in center field uh to this point goes to gene segura kind of an overqualified now number two guy to cano to cruz you know what you have there to seager very steady got you know Three, yeah, steady, steady as they come. Cedar. You know, steady. Exactly. He's gonna hit, be two seventy. You know, maybe twenty home runs and good contact, drive the ball. Exactly, three, four, five, right there. You got your first base platoon, Ryan Healy, um, Dan Vogelbach. You know, playing. which honestly, that's the one that worries me. I can see a lot of potential for disaster there. There's, there's uh, a lot of. I mean, there's yeah. some, there's some Adam Lindness to uh, yes. to that signing of going to get or that trade of going to get Ryan Healy. Um, and then you go Hanniger, left field situation. Hopefully that, that ends up ben, being Ben Gamble um, and at a, a plus version. It will of, be Ben Gamble, but, I mean, for right now it will be Guillermo Heredia until yeah. Gamble's ready. Yep, and then that other that other old guy that we just signed. Um, so that, Exa- Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I don't even <laughs> – I love Ichiro, and I told you I was so excited to yeah. have him back. But he's – if I mean, no one thinks he's going to be a contributor, and that's fine, but he can still do – some things he's not he's not going to be great i mean if if people are expecting him to go out there and play 100 games you're going to be disappointed he, but um, he can sell bobbleheads like nobody's business is what is what he can and he can be a decently productive bench bench player you know he can still steal a base he still mm-hmm. hits for contact he can still you know if if honestly if i needed someone to do a hit and run in the seventh inning or eighth inning and i needed bat on the ball mm-hmm I I'd, I'd take him off the bench and I pinch hit him. He you know he still serves a purpose on a major league roster. I think you saw my tweet about uh, him walking through the the press conference and he's like you know just dressed like 007. Oh yeah, the, oh, yeah. Oh, look, yeah. Looking like he has a silence in her hands. So when you when you said uh, doing a hit and run, I had something totally different in mind <laughs> from that. Um, 
But so so I mean we go through the lineup there, and then you got Mike Z to to end it. That I mean that that's probably the best lineup that the M's have had since like those teams that we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast. However, I was going to MLB.com best lineups in the MLB. We're not even in the top ten. We're not even in the top two of our own division according to them. Um, no, obviously that that isn't fait accompli. Yeah, that's how, not the end all be all. Exactly. Um, and then there are. You know, there's a lot of things that could go right to all of a sudden now you have a top 10 offense. And if you have a top 10 offense, then that offsets the pitching staff. But it's just with the best offense the M's have have accumulated in, you know, decades, still not good enough um, from from an objective perspective. So that's what's tough is is even even though we do have something great there or something something pretty good, it's still not um, still not quite where it needs to be. I'll put it this way for you. I think if you could have I, uh, a league average pitching staff, it's a playoff. We have a playoff offense. We don't have a playoff team. We I like have a that. playoff offense, though. I like that. That's that's a very good way of putting it. Um, that if if we're gonna get into a into a playoff situation, it's be kind of gonna be because our offense is as good as advertised, if not better, and then we need that league average pitching staff. Right, and and I I was listening to De, you know Jerry Depoto has his own podcast. Maybe they're a they're great. For years. They're great. Yeah. The Wheelhouse. Yeah, and he, when he talks about the pitching staff, he or the seems so, is it the Wheelhouse? I, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. But he talks about the pitching staff on there, and you know he makes it sound like he could sell that. You know he could sell me the snake oil. Like I <laughs> I buy into it. He's you know they have all the, this huge and what I really like about his. Uh, approach and i you know i'm a big fan of the analytics departments and and i think the bigger your analytics department is the better long-term proposition you have i mean i just think that letting you know those guys do their work is is so vital to having i mean you look at the two teams that were in the world series last year the uh cubs and the astro or excuse me the dodgers and the astros Mm -hmm. and uh i read an article both of those teams have the two most robust analytics departments in the mlb and i just think that's so important um you know because there's so many and the, the thing is there's so many players that go through the MLB more than any other sport of the big four sports that, you know, some guys are going to fall through the cracks. Like there are going to be good players who for whatever reason are going to get one year, you know, $2 million contracts. And those guys can be the difference between, you know, your playoff run and sitting at home in October. And the more analytics and more data you have on every single guy, the more informed your decisions are going to be. And I think that's what they're trying to do this year with uh you know Erasmo Ramirez and I know he's a different iteration of you know when we last saw him mm-hmm. um and uh, Marco Gonzalez you know a guy who a lot of teams don't even know who that is but their analytics department obviously saw something in these guys that makes that gives them confidence to not have to go out and sign Jake Arrieta or one of those other um you know, Otani. Yo, I mean, you kind of missed on Otani. It was it was clear that the yeah. te- that the team they wanted, wanted Otani. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, they didn't miss on Arietta and they didn't miss on uh, uh, the other guy's name is escaping me. Who's um, uh, he just signed with the Twins, Lance Lynn. They didn't miss on uh, you know all these starting pitchers. They liked their guys better. I mm-hmm. mean, it wasn't a money issue. Lance Lynn signed in Minnesota for one year and twelve million dollars. That's not a money thing. That's a I like Marco Gonzalez and Erasmo Ramirez better. You got to be careful with that because it's it's not straight up. I think that Erasmo Ramirez can outpitch Jake Arrieta. It's more it's more. I think that 
our current process includes getting the fourth and fifth starters on the cheap for now until we kind of bide some time, which right. But what are they biding time for? Their window's not opening. Their window's closing. That's what I'm saying. Is so if if you if you kind of take a, an objective perspective and say like, okay, I, I can't get inside Jerry Depoto's head. Why why wouldn't you swing for the fences and, and throw an extra you know whatever it takes to get a guy like Arietta that could put you over the top uh, or make you a contender? Considering that those three and four hitters that we just talked about, those guys are you know a combined what 70 years old at this point so, yeah yeah exactly um cruz is turning 37 and cano's almost yeah yeah exactly so, so i mean it's it's tough and i mean like i was looking at the guys with with nelson cruz who is turning 37 guys who are 37 and older um who have you know hit more than 35 home runs and you're talking about the hank aarons of the world the david ortiz's of the world like these are the all-time great players that have performed to that level and i think you'll still get above 30 but i mean like you're counting on Nelson Cruz to do things that that he he is probably not capable of doing like carrying an offense at this point so I don't know it kind of get off on a tangent there but it's it's still there's kind of a, a I think Seattle fans we just need to see it happen with Depoto so that that whole trust the process thing can apply because right right now it's kind of it like the obvious moves don't really align with what's happening Right, that's that's the big thing. The obvious moves this year would have been to go out and get a veteran free agent starter because that's kind of a, a tacit acknowledgement that my window's closing. I better I better I better uh, put it all on the table now before you know the window's closed. They are not acting like they think that way. They're acting like they think the window's just getting started and mm-hmm. I, I i don't see where that's coming from, but again, I don't get paid millions of dollars to run a, a major league organization. so I mean, we'll see and that's why i like listening to his podcast because he does give you some good insights they're high on their pitching staff i don't know why i don't know how and they're high on their farm system which is always is routinely rated as the worst in baseball and i'll tell you why i i I like that they're high on their farm system the mariners have had in the past top 10 farm systems but a farm system is only as good and your talent in your farm system is only as good as your player development Mm -hmm. and consistently our player development has fallen short we have never been able to translate guys into me- and you see this with and I wanted to save this one for the fun facts about the Mariners but you see this with Chris Taylor I mean he goes he leaves the Mariners and he's all of a sudden tapped into some sort of power the Mariners never even realized he had mm-hmm. you see it with um, all sorts of guys who the Mariners just cannot develop and the and they put a huge 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 emphasis and expended a ton of resources both time and money on revamping their player development approach and I think we're going to start seeing that pay dividends. Yeah, I mean, you, you get you get uh, looking at at the current lineup, and you know, you go out and get Gordon, you get Segura, and really the only homegrown talents that you have, where you had them from start to finish of where they are, you have Zanino and you have Seager, and those mm-hmm. those, those are you know plus players in in the MLB, but they they aren't even stars, and so these stars right. that get developed are, are are happening anywhere but Seattle. Um, so I think, and you know, I guess Felix, I guess you can talk about as well. So it's, it's just frustrating to see that, you know, that those types of things happen. You, you know, you see the, the, the 30 ranking in the farm system and you can't, you can't have any sort of good feelings from that. However, I think you're right of like, you know, you kind of almost have to look back five years and say, okay, how was their farm system then, um, to how it is now? And how, how do they, how do they turn five years of, of prospects into, you know, five years 
down and the road. Like in terms you of said, like you talent. said, there. That's the most salient point is. The Mariners have had top 10 farm systems, and look what it's developed. Two guys yep. who are plus players. but So even if we have the 30th best farm system, it's not like it's going to get much worse. Yeah, that is very true. That is very true. I mean, it, it, that's the thing is the bar is now, can you get three good players out of that? Exactly. Yeah. And I think they can. I think they can. I think that I, for whatever reason, I have some sort of trust in this uh, regime minus service. I don't like him, but I have trust in the new regime for, all the way from the owner down mm-hmm. to Depoto, uh, that they actually seem like they can see their way clear with Zene- uh, or with Zarenzik and uh, you know Bavazi, really anyone after Pat Gillick. Um, it just felt like they were throwing darts with their eyes closed and just hoping that it was going to work out. This th- these guys seem to have more of a systematic approach. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a process. Uh, the way you said Bavazi there reminded me of how in uh, Wolf of Wall Street, Matthew McConaughey is like Fugazi, Fugazi. Like, <laughs> he's just like wh- whistling and throwing his hands up in the air. Uh, Bill Bavasi, I think everyone knew that that that's how we pronounce his name. But uh, you sound like you're trying to make it into a menu item at, at Toronto. Bavasi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Could be. Yeah. I, hey, try it out. Um, yeah. I. There's. You're right. You're absolutely right because there's no way if someone's saying your farm system is is 30th and you know and the, those same ranking systems um, have have put you at the top in the past and look what we have. It's either the ranking system or it's the player development. I think that's probably somewhere in between. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard to say in year two of a regime what that's going to look like. But um, you know, it, it, all it takes is just just one or two guys to look like you have a real piece going forward that that you drafted. Uh, and then that's going to buy Depoto a lot of time. Um, so I think that, you know, he's kind of on the, these two timelines of like, okay, what is what is the current iteration of the team look like? And then what are you building? And I think that's, right. a, that's, a, that's a good place to be. Um, all right. So so we, we talked about, okay, that, you know, we, we were supposed to be a little bit more binary than that of like, you know, why, why is this team screwed? And then why, why do we have a chance? Uh, but we can keep going like that. In terms of the pitching staff, it's not looking – pretty just from the outside you felix is is going to be your opening day starter for the 10th year in a row yeah but that's ceremonial yeah, it's, obviously it's, paxton is the ace of the rotation it's nominal and even you know thinking about going against Corey kluber on day one of like you might want to have your ace your true ace go on the second day of the season anyways right um so you know that that, that is what it is but i mean those are the two guys you're going to be leaning on a lot this season um, which is a tough ask for two guys that have had trouble pitching entire seasons or even anywhere close to that over the last few years. And then you got some question marks. You go Mike Leak after that, Marco Gonzalez we've talked about, Erasmo Ramirez we've touched on as well. And uh, Erasmo, I should mention, is uh, actually going to be out for the first month of right. the year anyway. So that puts Wade LeBlanc as the fifth guy for now? Uh, you know, who knows who it's going to be. It could be Wade. It could be Miranda. I think they just signed Wade with the intention to have him as a starter. There, yeah, and but, I think uh, I think Miranda's knows? on his way down as, as yeah. well. Um, so so that, that fifth starter is kind of, you know, kind of all, between all of those guys, I feel like someone's going to be, you know, on the DL the entire time. Um, right. Or, or just kind of in flux. So we'll see. Those are the five guys you're, you'll hopefully see prominently this season. Um, anything to really touch on? I think that what's what's big about this is just getting consistency um you know if you can get paxton at the ace level and healthy phenomenal if you can get felix at a point where he's healthy and can consistently give you you know close to or quality starts phenomenal right if if marco gonzalez is just 
you know he's going to get through five innings, whereas sometimes last year it's two and a third, it's two, it's three and two thirds. Uh, you know, it's just kind of it's, and I think that Mike Leake is a good kind of stopgap in the middle of that rotation of just. Yeah, I like Leake. I like the way he pitched last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's just going to be you're not you don't have five aces. You you barely have one at this point. You just need some sort of consistency to go along with that offense. Uh, and we, obvi- obviously, about. I mean, the thing that plagued them, and I've already said this, but it bears repeating: the thing that plagued them last year was the health of the of the staff. Mm-hmm. I mean. They when Paxton was pitching, he was pitching like an ace. He just couldn't stay out there. And I remember in uh, high school, I had a coach who was a real, real asshole. And uh, <laughs> you're telling me a high school baseball coach was an asshole? That's crazy. <laughs> he always used to say he, and he is like one of those perfect guys. I can't even remember his name anymore. Um, but he is a perfect example of, uh, of you know, the the varsity PE teacher or whatever sure. who thought he was going pro. He always used to tell us that if he hadn't hurt his shoulder or whatever, <laughs> he was gonna he was gonna go pro. You couldn't find a more stereotypical high school baseball teacher <laughs> than the guy you're describing. This is like this is yeah. like a like a movie character. Oh, he was totally a movie character, and he had the best movie character line. But now I'm going to use it in this podcast. He always used to tell us when we were hurt. This is how big of a dick this guy was. When we were hurt and we couldn't play, he always he would only say one thing. He used to say, your best ability is your availability. There we go. And uh, There we that's, go. <laughs> that's true of the, the uh, old adage. Staff. And they, they, just need to, they just need to stay healthy, long story short. If they can stay healthy, I, I, I believe that Marco the, the 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 club is super high on that guy they think he's going to be a really good pitcher Mike Leake showed that he can be a really good pitcher last year uh, Paxton obviously has a good uh, good uh, pedigree and you know Felix I don't know who knows with that guy right now but um you know the pieces are there if they can if they can keep keep themselves healthy yeah yeah I mean it, you you have five starters I mean guys who who have at some point shown five made you have five major league starters you do but <laughs> Mar- Marco yeah. is the one guy that, that has yet to really prove it where it's right. like you can go a month of being dependable. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the, the baby step for Marco Gonzalez as a guy. And that's the, th- the the unfortunate part about Marco Gonzalez is that you trade Tyler O'Neill talking about that farm system. That's a guy that, you know, a lot of people in kind of the conventional looking at a fa- farm system from the outside perspective said that this, he this was guy, the number one. Yeah. He, he's the guy and you trade him for, you know, what amounts to at, at this point, a number four starter with a lot of question marks. So the, mm-hmm. his, his performance kind of goes exactly with what we were just talking about of, okay, you're going to mortgage this this kind of subpar farm system to what? You know, you just have to see those right. results. And that's that's kind of a good litmus test of of the of DePoto's ability to scout pitching. You saw it with Hanniger that he goes out and gets um, a plus guy for for on the cheap. Can he do it with, with Gonzalez as well? Right. Yeah. Um, so you, you're always a little bit more adept at looking at bullpens than I am. I, I just, I mean, Edwin Diaz, I think coming in with, with less expectations than he did or normal expectations. I think last mm-hmm. season people were thinking that, you know, he's, he's the, the second coming of, of uh, Dennis Eckersley. Yeah. yeah and, and that, that kind of hurt him at the beginning of the season. I think uh, he settled in, in a, in a fairly nice place, but um in that bullpen, what else do you have? I, I was looking through and yeah, I saw, saw Juan, Juan Nicasio, who used to pitch for, I think, the Cardinals. Sure. Yeah, and then you have – okay, so they traded Emilio Pagan, who was actually really kind of nails for the team last I year. I wasn't Pagan. happy about he, that. He, yeah, he, he was, was good. He was, he was the, the guy that you that you wanted out there in a, in a mm-hmm. tight game. 
Um, but the other guy who you kind of wanted out there in a tight game is still with the team, Nick Vincent. He's sure. a very good pitcher. I mean, he's going to probably end up being the eighth inning guy. Uh, you know what hurts is uh, they just got Dave David Phelps, if uh, you remember him. He oh, was yeah. from the Marlins. He just tore his uh, UCL, so he's on the 60-day DL. He's going to be gone for the season. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's not a huge, huge, huge blow. It's not the season's over. But he was a good, he was a good bullpen arm, and it would have been nice to have. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. You have uh, I can't say this guy's name, and he's been with the team for like two years. But Richimsky, Rich, Richimsky, Rich, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a anyway, Z in there that no one's ready for. Yeah, he uh, he is basically your classic. Come in, face one left-handed batter, get him out. Do not let him face a righty. Yeah, need those guys. Yep, totally. Every good bullpen has one of those guys. Uh, then the two that are are, you know. No one likes to see these guys in the game, but uh, Dan Altavilla, one of one of the bartenders down at uh, I, I, I work in a bar for those of you who don't know me, mm-hmm. but uh, one of one of our bartenders, he's also a very big baseball fan. He calls this guy, and I I crack up every time he says it, but he calls him Beefcakes because he's just such like a beefy dude, and he's just got the worst control. He can throw the ball really fast, but man, this guy sucks. I hate watching him pitch. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking. I don't see the beef really. Dan Altavilla? Oh, he's total beefcake. Uh, he's he's got a nice jaw. I'll give him that. I'll give him. And that. then uh, then the last one is James Pazos, the uh, guy I wanted to to talk about for nothing other really? than his mustache looks amazing, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I he's a bad pitcher. I don't like him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he sucks. But the the pitch, I mean, the mustache is a new look, and I appreciate that. I, I think that facial hair is is, a, is an important um, important thing. Is and it's a variable, right? Like change your arm angle. Sure, you can do that. You can't really, you know, add too much more velocity, but you can change your facial hair a lot. Yeah, yeah, and, and that can add, that can definitely. Add, oh God, I just looked up a picture of him. Yeah, he does. Jesus. Killer mustache, right? <laughs> it is a good mustache. For yeah, sure. that's a great candid moment of you you seeing James Pazos' mustache <laughs> for the first time on air. Yeah, I just went on. I just looked him up. Perfect. Oh, that's great. Um, I think that 2008 that... spring training, 3.480 ERA, 10 innings. Yeah, I mean he's he'll had be, an okay spring. He'll be all right. Um, especially yeah. because I think that his mustache is going to be the new Arthur Rhodes' earrings. And just the, yeah, the, like players are gonna refuse to play against. Yeah, Omar Vizquel is gonna be like, no, 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 I'm not. Look at this, the sun's b- bouncing off that thing. He looks amazing. I can't, I can't hit right now. Um, I think that's that's kind of the uh, the X factor in the bullpen there. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> the, uh, I I couldn't disagree with you on that one. All right, so so uh, envision this situation. Uh, James Paxton has gone six and two thirds. Um, he has, you know, eight K's, two earned, great start, all intents and purposes. But there's a guy on third. Um, who who do we bring in to end that inning? Say it's the lefty, and then you got seven, eight, and nine. How do the M's? How do the M's finish that game? Honestly, if it's a lefty, you bring in. Uh, that's like the tailor-made time for a lefty specialist. So you bring in Rasimski. Okay. And then, I mean, ideally, you get out of that inning and you have nine outs left. Yeah. So how do they how do they spend the? I mean, obviously the last three, maybe four. Yeah. Go, that's where go it hurts. to so go that's to Diaz. Exactly where and then, it hurts to learn. Uh, that's where it hurts to lose David Phelps because I would tell you if that was the case, you go. It's really easy. You go Nick Vincent seven, David Phelps eight, Edwin Diaz nine. Yeah. And then that's 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 a good. But now I guess you go Nicasio seven, Vincent gets bumped to the eighth, and Diaz goes to the ninth. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, that just adds one more question mark to that process because, I mean, baseball has just become so streamlined in that, you know, you want your starter to go six and then you kind of have a formula for Mm -hmm. the rest of the game. The last four. Exactly. Um, So so we'll see. I think Vincent... Or the last three, I should say. Yeah, Vincent, you can count on. Uh, Diaz, you know, you have you have a good enough sample size to know that you you have something dependable there. It's kind of that bridge position that that we're going to see on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Maybe they bring David Ardsma back as a bullpen coach. Put the gladiator helmets up. Right, figure it all out. Where is Ardsma? Ardsma's not in the MLB anymore, is he? Hell no. Hell no. Uh, he he was, was already pretty old when he got to the Mariners. Yeah, I mean he's in the he's in the Tom Wilhelmson club for for failed M's closers. I like Wilhelmson. Brandon League is hammered at that club, by the way. <laughs> oh my God! That can we go into Mariners commercials soon? Because that was uh, that was one of my Mariners commercials. Uh, yeah, we will get to M's commercials. Uh, you wanted to touch on kind of this this nice little tidbit. Speaking of of guys, not not at the bullpen, um, but one of the backup catchers had a story that that I was not aware of until you kind of yeah. told me about it today. Yeah, we'll, we'll, guy, we'll call our... this uh, we'll call this Phil's warm and fuzzy tidbit corner. Yeah, this is this is gonna make us all feel better when the Mariners are you know thirty and fifty two in the middle of July. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's all hold on to this. Yeah. Um, Mike Maryama, who is the uh, backup catcher for the Mariners, he just made the team because they just uh, they just de- uh, demoted uh, the other guy who was in the running uh, down to AAA. So that was for all you know intents and purposes the the signal that he made the team. He moonlights as a substitute teacher, and I know that's something that's very close to your heart because you were also a teacher at one point. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was essentially a two year substitute teacher. I I, I guess <laughs> we're all teachers, you know, to each other, you know. But I mean, he was actually a he was a real institutional teacher. That's awesome. I yeah. I would imagine. I mean, we we had a guy at our school, and I I, I never really met him, um, but he was a guy that I remember some of my my kids who who played baseball would come with me and be like. Oh my God! A, an MLB pitcher is a substitute teacher. And I was like, okay, let's let's pump the brakes because I know how this works. I know that that a guy can say he's an MLB pitcher fairly easily um, mm-hmm. and get away with it. And I never met the guy, but I think with this, and I mean, I I would assume that that making the big league team would would cause him to be done. But I think if I'm him, I want to go right back to that class where he had a kid doubting him and say, see, see, <laughs> I made the team. we're going to MLB TV right now. And you can see me catch on a Sunday and I went 0 for 4. But that doesn't matter because I was a true MLB catcher and you freaking doubted me as I was trying to teach you geometry. <laughs> yeah, no. He, yeah, a lot of guys, I think it's like I was saying, there's so many players that come in and out of the MLB. A lot of guys get lost in the shuffle, but this guy can tell those kids that he was truly in the MLB. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, his role will be very, very defined and minute, but uh, it is it is still an MLB position. Um, yeah, so so that was a cool one. Another one that I've, that's I've been coming up is the stuff. Have you seen with the, the four mom stuff with Braden Bishop? No. Yeah. So, so Braden Bishop is a is a center fielder in the M's uh, farm system. He he went to the University of Washington. Um, he was a productive player there. Speedster out there. Um, kind of like a, I don't know. He's he's kind of like a like a mm, like a fringe kind of. Yeah, like a maybe. James Jones essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. James Jones, maybe a little more upside to to that. But anyway, so so he's kind of been flying through the M's organization. Um, but even while he was at UW, his his mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, oh. and, and so it's just, he's kind of just he, he's that guy. Like he, he's just a, a vocal, passionate, um, you know, like 
lets everyone know what's he's going on. He's an advocate. On. Advocate, exactly. So he he's come out with um with a bunch of stuff for his mom. He's he's been beating the drum about um, Alzheimer's awareness and research and all that stuff. And so he's he's done a campaign to donate his hits um, in in spring training, uh, certain dollar amounts for you know singles and doubles and all that. Um, and other players have pitched in to do that as well for Alzheimer's research. And then uh, the entire team just took a a picture with these shirts that say "For Mom." Um, with with kind of raising Alzheimer's awareness, so his name is Braden Bishop. Braden Bishop, yep, and not not. Did spe- you know him at UW? I when I was working at UW for baseball, he was like he was the guy, he was the leadoff guy, and you, he was like, oh, oh no, I mean, but you didn't ever talk to him. No, 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 no. But he was he was like leadoff double type guy, pretty much every game. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, so just some good stuff. I I really hope that that we see Braden Bishop's name in in the future on the the M's roster. Regardless, he's a great story. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's, you know, more and more the, the case or the norm these days for, for athletes to have a cause. And so, um, always good stuff there, whether it's substitute teaching or, right. or Alzheimer's, but, um, yeah, it's just, I, 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 root, I root for, for Braden Bishop and he's a, he's a, he's a member of the double B club, which I mean, there exactly. are, Barry Bonds is in there, Bobby Bonilla. Um, it's, it's, a, it, of course, you know, the podcast host here, we Bobby have Bobby Brown. Bobby, yeah, Bobby Brown is in there. Um, <laughs> That's a bad one, though. Yeah, there's some more. I, I could, I could come up with them, but, um, but yeah. So, so that's that's a nice little venture into the the warm and fuzzy parts of baseball. Um, when you have a big farm system and you know big rosters, you 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 come up with those stories of substitute teachers and and uh, and all that. So we're we're gonna go right from the. Uh, do you want to do the pit of misery? Do you want to pl- you want to play that game? Yeah, let's do it. I think I'm ready for that one. All right. Um, I didn't have a. That's a that's a tough transition. What we're doing right here. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> nice. That, to, now this is that's why I asked that. you because I, I wanted to make sure we were all emotionally prepared for this. So we just kind of you know lit it up, got soft, um, you know, burned some incest for a little bit, and now we're gonna go to in honor of Bud Light. We're going to the the pit of misery, which uh, I just gave a, a, a name to the segment here. But it's essentially Phil and I are going to go back and forth um, with miserable facts about the Seattle Mariners as a franchise that um, until we just can't go anymore until we've run out of them. Um, so I don't I don't think there needs to be any more explanation than that. Do you? No, I think we're okay. All right, do you want to lead off? Okay, I'm going to take the easy one. The Mariners now now that the Buffalo Bills have made the playoffs last season, mm-hmm. the Mariners have the longest playoff drought of any professional franchise in the four major sports. Yes, <laughs> I I do, I think like I had the exact same one, and I I kind of want to retort and say like just this what, zooming in on this one part of what you're saying is or of, of what you just said is kind of it's its own point, and that's that you know every like the most criticized organization in sports is the Cleveland Browns, right? Like, right. Like they they are the the gold standard for miserable dysfunctional franchises. The, the Mariners last made the playoffs in 2001. The Cleveland Browns last made the playoffs the following year. So, so God, the, 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 the most pitiful franchise that everyone, you know, they have the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the quarterback Jersey with all the extra names on it for just the, the failed mm-hmm. QBs. The M's are no better um, in the, in that same time frame. Now I'm sure the, the winning percentages, the are, win loss percentage, I'm sure is a little better, but yeah, yes, but, but what, it, what is a win loss percentage of, of in the mid forties, like the M's have, if you don't have a playoff appearance to show for it, it is, it right. is just pitiful. Um, so I, I, I won't take that one, but I will raise you 
this one, saying that the Mariners have four playoff appearances ever, ever, and they, their franchise was formed in 1977. Uh, I'll double down on this fact and say that the Diamondbacks have made the playoffs six times in 21 less seasons. God, that hurts, doesn't it? That one, that one was tough, tough. And the Diamondbacks like were in a World Series in their like third year ever. Second, they won their sec- World second, Series in their third year ever. Second, second year was it? It was '99 that they won the World Series, and they. With, they oh were, my God! They were a franchise God, in 1998. What a good expansion that must have been! Yeah, expansion draft. Yeah, exactly. Just, okay, I got a good one. Okay. Brett Boone once swung and missed at a pitch during the home run derby. Didn't he blame it on someone? Did he blame it on? I don't know. I just remember watching, and I was like, "Wow, his, this is the low point." His frosted this tips. Is the, this is the this is the peak, or the what's the opposite of a peak? This is the valley. This yeah. Is the floor. This is the I don't know. The, the, the nadir of, of yeah. This. The, that's the word I was looking for. There we I was go. trying to say zenith, but then that that's the other that's one. Also, just yeah, yeah, the yeah. Nadir. Uh, yeah. Brett Boone's roided ass just was fro- <laughs> frosted tips, frothing at the mouth. Yelling at someone for why why he swung and missed at a at a home run derby, basically in a charity slow pitch softball game. Um, I think he did horribly in that home run derby as well, if I remember. Did right. he? I can't remember. I just I, all I remember about that is he literally swung and missed at a pitch, and I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this one just came to me, and I'm gonna count it. You can't tell me otherwise. Okay. Legitimately, like this is this is not a joke. One of the Mariners' best. 10 moments of the last decade was Ichiro getting an inside the park home run in an all-star game. That was a great moment. <laughs> you're not supposed to agree with that. Like you're... <laughs> I know, but I do. I like that moment. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was like, it was cool in the moment, but it's just, yeah, it's sad that that is one of the best moments of our, of our history. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just like, in the moment, it's like, oh, cool, but nothing has gotten better since then. Nothing's gotten better. There's no reason. Yeah. There's no. There's no. Uh, yeah. There's no will. Yeah. Oh. You're next. But uh, okay, I got another one. Okay. I, this is a fact, but the fact can be stated just by the name, Sean Figgins. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. One one yeah. time one time franchise savior, Sean Figgins, who went. 198 in his in his like first 45 games and then it was... I, I think that's when i really turn but i i credit sean figgins with something in my personal life that made me realize that a lot of things are not as they seem because you know you you think that you're getting sean figgins and oh this name is going to be huge but a lot of times it's the small things that like ma- matter it's not just getting this one big franchise savior it's you just got to build things the right way and you can't just try and put um you know a band-aid over a bullet wound you got to take out the bullet and you got to sew the thing up and you got to do it right and it's unpleasant and it takes time but if you just try and get some big splash or some big whatever and this goes for just in general in life advice to me if you just try and do some something you know rash like that it's going to end up hurting you more than more than just biting the biting the bullet so to speak and and doing things the right way and this this is a good reminder of also this is probably like the first I mean eh, I don't know we're old enough at this point but just a, a good reminder as we're like you know 18 19 years old when Sean Figgins came in uh, the people who talk about sports don't know anything because exactly. that, that move was universally lauded as like this energizer spark plug 
uh, and no one knew that Sean Figgins had stopped caring about baseball well before that. We have a really good knack for getting guys who have stopped caring about baseball. Who are checked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eric Bedard and, and Sean Figgins were like, didn't even know the season had started when, when, uh, uh, right. when April came around. And that's the thing. Like, you can, you can, uh, I'm a super huge fan. You know, I'm a super huge fan of analytics and, you know, really dissecting every little piece of information you have about a player, but you, you really can't get inside a guy's mind. You can't tell him you have to love the game. You can't tell him you have to go to the batting cage. You can't tell him do this or do that. It's like, that's just the human element of the game that really. You yeah. know, it does play a, por- a point. At, at, at certain points, it does. It, it is a factor. Yeah. No, there's a good Seattle Times piece about Nelson Cruz's uh, workout routine and just kind of like what he puts his body through and how regimented his schedule is. And he's just like, this is my job. Like, and that's, that's mm-hmm. there's just a truth to that of like, you either take it that way or you don't. And if you don't, then you run the risk of never playing baseball again. So, um, right. Just some some good reminder there. Uh, you said Sean Figgins. Mine. I'm just gonna end this because for time purposes and yeah, we and, could go on all night. Exactly. Uh, mine is a suggestion of of an awful awful thing, and that's proposing the idea of a of a Griffey curse, in that Ken Griffey Jr.'s birth f- destroyed this franchise. Let me explain. Okay. Yeah. In what way? All right. I'm so the Seattle Pilots were formed in 19. 19- they were formed like a little bit before that, but the, the, their first existing season was in 1969. Um, so April, 1969, the Seattle pilots, um, are the first professional baseball team in Seattle history. They played one season of, of baseball in Seattle before moving to Milwaukee. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was born in November of 1969. So a month after the season ended. Oh, interesting. In November, uh, as it's happening, Bud Selig, currently current owner of the Milwaukee Brewers at the time, uh, is is fighting with uh, or trying to buy the team from the the owner of the Seattle Pilots, um, and the city is kind of pushing back, a la what happened in 2007 with with the Sonics, to try and keep mm-hmm. the team there. Yeah, I propose that Ken Griffey Jr.'s birth ultimately pushed the team away, right? And then ever since Ken Griffey Jr.'s birth, we have not had a single run at a World Series since then. Interesting, and. You could also say that the Griffey also continues to keep his curse alive because he was the one who saved baseball in Seattle, and we all thought it was such a great thing at the time. Little True. did we know, he just subjected us to 30 more years of misery. Yes, yes. I could buy this theory. Yeah. I'm, I'm in on it. I'm it's, in on the Griffey curse. It's super dark and twisted, and I, I want it to be wrong more than anything. But I'm just saying, I was, I was like, who was born in 1969? Because it all started then with the Seattle Pilots of like, we were never supposed to have good baseball. It was, it was, it just was just doomed, pre- preordained, doomed from the beginning, and it was, it was Griffey. But I, I hope that, uh, I hope that that is not the case because obviously a guy that has meant a tremendous amount to to the city and we would not be having this podcast if not for him so um i hope i'm wrong but that that theory does exist i like it all right uh moving on to m's commercials i had a couple questions for you one this year they had five commercials they're all mm-hmm. i would call them all b's i don't think there's an a yeah they were good they were good not uh, i the one i really liked and i think it was just because of uh i like d gordon's acting was the uh the pitch framing one. Pitch, pitch framing was good and i think you're right that d gordon kind of he was the one like human actor yeah and all that um 
mine was the Kyle Seeger hair flip because it's it's yeah, more like it's more uh, uh, just a, another moment where we can appreciate how self-deprecating and self-aware Kyle Seeger is. Uh, this is oh, the same totally. guy, same guy who put Corey's brother on the back of his jersey in the, the stupid players weekend. Yeah, he is very he is very self-aware. That's a good way to incredibly describe it. He knows self-aware. Exactly who he is. Um, he, uh, it's easy to be that way when you're getting paid twenty million dollars a year, though. Yeah, yeah, no, he he is he's settled in. I mean, he he talks about he's like unathletic and slow and bald and and like I, he's I mean he's just he's the everyman. And so I I think Kyle Seeger saying yeah I, I I will gladly do it was probably his idea of like I I'm gonna do a Ben Gamble hair flip with like <laughs> two millimeters of hair on my head uh, <laughs> that that uh. It really shows shows through there. So Kyle Seeger is a gem. Um, can you imagine being a Mariners fan if we did not have Kyle Seeger? God, it'd be tough. But we've been through worse. Favorite Mariners commercial ever. Okay, I I was just thinking about this going through the vault in my head, and the one that always sticks out to me, and I think it's just because I love the way that Felix pronounces uh, all the names. Do you remember the one where they just had gotten Cliff Lee? And Sean Pickens is in this commercial, actually. Great. And and, they, and uh, Cliff Lee, uh, they just started naming off all these names, uh, like uh, Rick James and uh, uh, blah blah blah, all the uh, Billy Joel and all these names. And you're not real. You're wondering why the whole commercial, why they're naming off all these names. But it's just them naming for like 30 straight seconds all the guys with two first names. Do you mm. remember that commercial? I I don't, but I I, I like oh, you it. You gotta look that one up. You gotta look that one up. It's it's a funny one. But the way that the only reason I love it so much is the way Felix pronounces all the names is absolutely hilarious. That's and awesome. I just that's my favorite one. I my favorite one also included Felix, and it's the uh, the Larry Bernandez commercial. Oh yeah, the Larry. Bern- those ones are famous. Those those were great, and they kind of kind of, I, like I was uh I was in on like the ground floor of Larry Bernandez like before I got out of hand and there were Larry Bernandez bobbleheads and right. t-shirts and stuff. Yeah, so of, kind of, oh yeah, because you were probably working for the Mariners when those whole things. No, no, happening. no. Like I I, no? I, ne- I never worked for the M's. I worked for. But you worked for in the M's facility. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I I was in Safeco selling yeah. fish when uh when right, these types you, of things you, were happening. You were probably at the height. You were doing that when the height of that whole thing was happening, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I I remember that and and think that that was funny in the time of of you know and and felix's accent kind of came into play again because when he says i'm larry like i mean yeah, exactly. it was just a, a well good use of of uh of kind of his his comedic powers there um so those those are great but i i think that this one i'm extremely excited for this uh you've you've i don't ever know if you're joking or serious but you've joked with quinn and i about I just assumed you're joking there. I'm sorry. Um, but you've talked with Quinn and I about how you have these ideas for, for film projects. And so I wanted to have oh, yeah. you direct your own M's commercial. If you had uh, unlimited budget and, and could direct unlimited kind of budget. kind of yeah, your vision for, for an M's commercial, uh, what, what, what would it look like? Let's see. Who's like – have you ever seen the movie uh... – Oh gosh, it's 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 escaping me the name of it right now. It's about those guys who, it's like Brazil, but it's even more dark than that. Uh, it's it's just like, oh gosh, what's the movie called? It's about the drug. Uh, it's they're all on drugs. Anyway, the point is, there's this movie. It's kind of like Jacob's Ladder. Have you ever seen Jacob's Ladder? I have not. Okay. Anyway, all these movies are like uh, the one thing that they have in common. They're all just 
directed in this like super somber tone they all have these gray hues all over like they're almost black and white that's how like gray the filter is over the movie Mm -hmm. and just like everything about it is completely like nihilistic and not even like a hopeful nihilist it's just like a a dark like seedy sordid like motel room i think that's where i'd start the film and how long do i get do i get the like standard 30 seconds to 30 do this, 30 second commercial and there might be oh, like an gosh. extended edition you can watch on youtube yeah do i get a director's cut yeah yeah definitely definitely it's it, it looks like something on a on a commercial and then it's kind of like that's like for the people and then the artistic version is is uh is on youtube but it would be like french cinema you know i i don't know exactly what would be in it but it'd be just like very sad very like rainy maybe there's like a little jazz maybe a little uh piano music in there okay uh someone's walking down the street with like a baguette or something so, like very art house so you know? so you have no idea what this is going to look like in terms of like like the the connection to the ems franchise you you're just this is what your movie is gonna no look but like. that 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 is a connection to the ems franchise because the ems franchise makes me feel that way uh okay okay so so the setting depicts the the mood here yeah the oh. mood i mean and the mood of the mirrors over the last 20 years has been i mean best described in the best sense of you could say is is downbeat yeah very french very, yeah very french uh i get that i get that i had two kind of spoofs that i that i um that i propose one of them was okay so w- i asked you earlier like do you watch black mirror i should have known you do mm-hmm. wa- you do watch black oh mirror. yeah i love black mirror yeah i like the idea of uh of the hydro drivers um the red yellow and green hydro like you know we just uh-huh. see the hydros oh, yeah. we never think about the people in the hydros that there's okay. a, there's actually three people stuck in a simulation that have to continue to do that over and over. Oh, that's uh, torture. I know. Yeah, that exactly. That is very Black Mirror-esque. Right, right. So so it's kind of like scene, uh, you know, it's kind of as the, the hydros are, are wrapping up and then they finish and then everyone's like, oh, yellow, crap. And then so the, the, the screen pans away and now it's, a you know, like next up, Ben Gamble is up to bat. And, uh-huh. then, and then you go right back in the kind of the black screen of it and you see the yellow hydro hydro driver is like smoking a cigarette and just see like oh, i'm tired of this man like like oh, I don't... So they remember they remember every race they've had to run they don't get reset no 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 yeah they, they keep going and it's all oh, God, it's all that is a special kind of hell mm-hmm. yeah and they're all on tracks so they know they know who's gonna win every night it's kind of like it's kind of like wrestling but they have like there's yeah. no control of getting out of it um, so that was one, uh, fitting with the dark, the dark I like thing. that one. I like that one a lot. We should do this one. And then the other one, uh, came to me earlier today. Uh, have you, you've seen Get Out? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so you know how, uh, King Griffey Jr. came back in, what was that? Like 2010? 2010. 2010. Yeah. He came back and things were great and then they weren't. And then he, he, he disappeared to montana for a night and then never like didn't come back and didn't tell the team yeah. about it uh so he he lived that experience of what it's like to try and come back to the mariners as like the prodigal son and like do that right. farewell tour Ichiro was about to do that <laughs> and so there's a there's the, the, the scene is ichiro seeing ken Griffey jr like who is now a mariners employee and be like ken like good to see you and then ken's like who's ken and he did, <laughs> and then oh, like he's been and then and then he just says, "Get out!" to to Ichiro, and Ichiro just doesn't understand what he's talking about. Uh, uh, but he's he's trying to tell him to get out of the Mariners organization because it's it's cursed. 
That one's great too. I love that one. I I think if we were to direct one though, I'd go with the first one. It'd be a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, we could outsource some like animation for that too, and and uh, yeah, there, there's some potential there. Uh, all right. So so that that about wraps it up. I wanted to do the bingo board thing, but but we 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 crushed it on time, and, and we got some some real solid stuff here, and hopefully uh, haven't scared too many people off with our dark and twisted minds for <laughs> for for the fantasy project here i did hey, wanna... we're pretty optimistic all things considered that's true i think you got me excited on this season um in it in a way that i did not expect so i appreciate that from you as as you often you often do you you know you can spin spin things positively better than anyone i know well it's a skill when you're dealing with this team exactly it's, it's, a... it's like a, a survival skill i should say sure sure um but I did want to propose one more thing to you, and so I'm going to be home um, late June, early July, and awesome. there, there's a there's a game. Your birthday's right around mine too, right? June yes. Thirteenth. I'm nineteenth. I'm nineteenth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be back for July one, and it's a day game against the Royals. Um, okay. And I propose that we do a Boyd Meets World podcast live. Live from, from the studio, uh, live from the stadium. I would love to do that. I was thinking, well, stadium would be great. I don't know if we can pull that off, but live from at least Il Torato. Oh, we could do that. Oh, we could definitely do that. I think that'd be fantastic. Wait, what day? What day is June, July first? That'll be a Sunday. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we could definitely do that. Well, we can turn the game on. Yeah, I th- have I, some beers. I think this would be would be a phenomenal thing for the brand and then for also the the you know just the friendship. It'd be it'd be awesome. Plus the cross promotion. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we'll yeah. we'll put you on there. We'll get uh, we'll see if we can get some celebrity guests for something like that. I mean, you've oh yeah, we've got we, some. We could definitely try. You've got some pull over there, um. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited for that. We'll 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 book it. Okay, let's let's book that. All right. Um, All right. Any 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 parting messages for for M's fans this season? What what to, what to expect? Any any like yeah? You know, I, you're I standing at the bow this. of the boat and you want to tell your crew something to to get them optimistic for the journey ahead. I want to say this. I don't want to lie to anyone and say, you know, oh, this season's going to be so amazing, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if you are a baseball fan and, and you like the Mariners, there are going to be fun things this year, more fun than last year. Things that are going to surprise you. You get to watch the development of maybe uh, like a, a Marco Gonzalez type guy. There are going to be, there's always, I guess I should say, things that are going to be able to keep your interest with this team, no matter how bad things get, really. And if you really like baseball, just hold on to those things. Hold on to the things that are, you know, maybe it's the, the positives that give you hope for the future. And just try not to get too down on the team because no one really likes that. No one, It's not fun <laughs> to be around the guy. It, and I have friends who I won't even talk about the Mariners with because it's just all – yeah, I know they're bad. We all know they're bad. That should be the precursor to every conversation. But let's not harp on that. Let's try and talk about some other things within the club. You know what I'm saying? Let's let's find the joy. The Mariners have never given us anything to to be happy about in terms of wins yeah. and losses, anyways. So let's enjoy what they do give us, and that's that's you know six months of of just entertainment and and conversation. And yeah, all those I should say things. you're you're not you're not you're not so savvy because you don't think that the Mariners are going to make the playoffs. Good job. Everyone doesn't think the Mariners <laughs> are going to make the playoffs. You know what would be cool is if you thought thought pretty hard and you know you actually dissected the team and you know gave us reasons why they could or why you like this guy or made, stuff like that you know you're not smart because you think oh the Mariners suck everyone thinks that 
Yeah, I'm just going to cut you it's off just, at you're not yeah. smart. Of you, you, telling, <laughs> you telling the audience that they're dumb. <laughs> no, but it's easy to be cynical. You know what I'm saying? It's hard Definitely. to really just take the take the team for what they are. Yeah, so we're going to do both. I think throughout the season we'll try and do some some benchmarks. Um, hopefully, maybe one in between now and July 1st, but definitely uh, July 1st, live and in person. We won't have to use Skype. We'll be right in front of each other. Uh, yeah, good a, audio quality at a bar. So, so that will be that will be a blast. But uh, yeah, it should be a fun season. I think that there's there's plenty to to just observe. Don't you know? Don't look at the standings. Just just observe what we have here with the abs. Yeah, there you go. That's right. how. Yeah, observation. Let's do it. All Let's right. do it. I'll see you later. Dude. All right, buddy. Good stuff. All right. Peace. Once again, that was my boy Phil Smeraldo talking about the M's. Uh, keep an eye out for Boyd Meets World Live coming right your way July 1st at Il Terrazzo Carmine in Seattle. Uh, we'll have some more details coming about that uh, when it gets closer. Keep an eye out for some NBA preview stuff as well. Get you caught up, ready for the NBA playoff season and the goings on this summer. Thanks for listening. Peace.